Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we discuss a different Alkaline Trio song. This week is She Took Him to the Lake. Not bad. Pretty good. Pretty good. Good intro. Getting good. You might just get better yet. Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Welcome to As You Were. Have you ever taken Chloe to the lake? Uh, Yeah, actually, she. Hate swimming, believe it or not. Huh. Um, Fair enough. I've gotten her to come out a couple times. Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. My name is Tim Crisp. I'm with David Anthony. Hello. My friend and co-host. Mm-hmm. Colleague. Colleague. When we're here together uh-huh. for the first time since we debuted the podcast. We, yes, this is true. Uh, don't want to you know, ruin the magic here, the illusions. Um but we did record basically a bunch of those episodes basically in one day. So when you're listening to episode number four, Warbrain, and you can feel like, hey, these two are starting to lose it a little bit. The one guy keeps rambling what's going on. I was tired. Yeah. I mean, we uh, you know, we wanted to you know, basically make a proof of concept, see what you people thought. Uh, we got some very nice reviews, uh, surprisingly. Got some love from some trusted sources, some trusted uh-huh. media outlets. I mean, yes. really, I was not not bullshitting here. I was pretty surprised at, at the reactions that we were getting on Same. on social media, and it's been really, really cool. Like hearing from you all, hearing that you like the podcast. You know, not only as a as a trip down memory lane, but something that you enjoy listening to and taking part in, and that's so dope. It's so dope to hear people spreading the word about it, talking about it, sharing it with their friends, and hitting us up on the internet. Mm-hmm. It just tickles me. I get so yeah. excited every no, time. No, it's, it's really nice. It's always cool because you come up with these ideas and put these things out, and you don't know if anyone's going to listen, and then people listen, and that's cool. I, yeah. It's funny. I did uh, see one review on iTunes where they're like, oh, these guys are just like really critical and negative. It's like, I've given two songs five stars. Yeah. 50% of the songs have gotten five stars from me. I saw, I, I saw one where it was a post and and the one guy commented like yeah it's really it's really enjoyable you know there's one guy that knows a lot and then there's one guy who doesn't know as much and he's kind of annoying and i was like yeah david it's so annoying i know it's crazy uh but that's that's the function i serve that's why i'm here yeah the uh the annoying guy everybody needs one all the greats had their annoying guy that they hung out with and you weren't sure why but my annoying friend here, you Andy had, Richter. <laughs> um, you had some alkaline trio related happenings since we've posted this podcast. This is true. Uh, this is relevant to the discussion, but I did an, uh, an interview with Mr. Matt Skiba for a little series called Rank Your Records on Noisy, and so I I've interviewed both Matt and Dan before many times. Um, Dan for a rank your records as well. Not, I didn't do the rank your records with Dan. Gotcha. However, uh, a, a good friend, Dan Ozzy did that one. Oh, friend um, of the show, friend of the show. Good man. Uh, and a, a great, interesting read by the way. Um, but I wanted to do Matt cause they had never done one where two people from the same band had, uh, both ranked the catalog. Uh huh. And I thought it'd be interesting to see the disparities. And a few months prior, I was doing a thing, and I, I talked to both Dan and Matt, and they were both super pleasant, like really cool. This is probably in like October. Um, and I was like, all right, 
Nice. Like, uh, you know, obviously, like, I was doing the interview, I think, the week the podcast launched. Uh-huh. So I was like, oh, maybe yeah, he's is, heard. This is super relevant. Maybe he's heard the Were podcast. Were you worried about it? I was a little bit. Yeah. Because, like, you know, I'm not telling any tales out of school here. Like, I love this band and like were they were basically my first favorite band but i've said some unkind things about them in the past there's a whole piece on avclub.com about that that you yeah. can look up about me writing about them and you know i had an alkaline trio tattoo that i got when i was like 15 or 16 years old um and then i put a thought bubble above it that says whoops you know so it's like and i've written about that like uh-huh. so it's not like <clears throat> If they were going to be aware, they should have been aware, right? Right. So when I talked to him in October, I was kind of under the impression, like, fuck, like, what if they know this? But clearly they didn't kind of wrote seem a hit to. piece about these dudes. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And, like, less a hit piece about them, more that kind of feeling you have when you really love something and you become so critical of it and right. feel so much ownership over it. Um, You know, so, but... Yeah, there's a reason they would I not, was just not call it love a it. hit piece. But, you know, so I had had like a decent chat with Matt a few months ago. So I was like, oh, this will, this will probably be fine. Yeah. You know, so uh, I call him as is what you do when you're doing a phone interview. And he picks up and he just you know, kind of sounds a little hurried, a little rushed. And, you know, I tried to, you know, be like, hey, like, is now a good time to talk? Like, still cool. He's like, yep. I was like, all right, uh, did they kind of like tell you what the interview is going to be, like the Frankie Records thing? And I was like, we can just, and you know, I, I try to preface like we can go through it however you want. We'll start from the bottom. And he, he just goes, I've been briefed. Go. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and like, I'm happy to be here on the phone with you, David. Yeah. And it's funny because like listening back to it, like, you know, I think that threw me off a little bit. Uh huh. You know, and, and that didn't make it easy. And there are a couple other moments where, like, it was just not going great. Normally, like, we have people submit their list beforehand. Right. You know, so then, like, you can kind of be like, oh, so this is number eight. Like, talk about that. Try to pivot into number seven. He did not submit a list. So I was just kind of like, granted, I know what the records are. Uh-huh. But, you know, we're kind of going on the fly a little bit. And there was a point where, like, we had talked about uh, three of them. And I was like, so what's next? He's like, well, what's left? And I started naming him off, and I was blanking on one of them. Uh-huh. And I was like, uh, you know, da da Yeah. And <laughs> I was like, fuck, what's the other one? And he's like, well, you tell me. And I was like, whoa. Okay. Yeah. And then I figured it out. And he's like, all right, that one's next. And uh-huh. I was like, okay. And he was just like being kind of charged. Like he was kind of taking questions more as a slight. Uh, specifically, like I asked him about like, interaction with fans and he gave a very pointed answer of like i don't give a fuck what they think type of yeah thing. and there's even some answers in it where they don't read as charged but like imagine someone saying them slightly irritated yeah like for sure you know when i was asking even about crimson which was his number two pick uh-huh about like wanting to try and like take things to a new sonic level after like the hard recording process of good morning the answer doesn't read that intense, but he's like, we're doing that for us, you know? And like, just like, yeah, it was just a very kind of like, there wasn't a lot of rapport going on. We, we kind of got there in, in fits and starts, but like, and he was also just like giving really like blunt answers, which I respected, you know, but they for were, sure. they, they were a little shocking to be like, why don't you like this record? And the first thing is like, because Mike Falumley and you're like, yeah. Oh, okay. So right. it, was, it was, it was an odd experience it was um, definitely i mean it's odd enough the order that he listed things in mm-hmm. and then to read some of those responses i'm sitting there going like man 
he's mad at you, I think. It's kind of what it felt like. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, that that is what it is. It was definitely fun. Like, I did the interview and then immediately transcribed it. And I was like, you know, I think there was there was parts where I was like, well, maybe, like, I got defensive and, like, or maybe I was, like, being a little too, like, shy as a result of it. Right. But he also didn't want to engage with the material beyond, like, the process of recording them. So anytime I asked a question about songs or material, it was just a dead end. Um, yeah. So that kind of eliminated a lot of what the framework I was going to talk about was. Well, it's interesting to consider, you know, did he have a bad day? Did he really not want to do the thing from the onset? Yeah. Either way. Either way, interesting read. It threw me off immediately because the last one he picked, the worst Alkaline Trio record in his opinion is the one that we're going to be talking about today. Uh-huh. Maybe I'll catch fire. Yep. She took him to the lake. The eighth song on that record. It's one of three Dan Andriano songs on Maybe I'll Catch Fire, second LP. It's also the first Dan song that we are here to talk about. I'm very excited about that because, yeah, like, because we're doing this at random, you know, we don't really know what we're going to get with each new playlist. Yeah. Or week to week. And, yeah, we just had a run... Matt songs, which like you know, in the start of the podcast, feels kind of appropriate, but uh, right. it's nice to give Dan some attention here. It's nice that it came up. You know, it really could have gone for a long time, but mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 about fitting, I would say. You know, one out of every five songs <laughs> being a Dan song. Yeah, but you know, Dan Dan is such an important piece to this unit. His functionality mm-hmm. as you know. The guy that writes, you know, every fourth or fifth song, it's really like such a valuable asset when you think about this band because Dan has an ability to either write a song that is really, really in line with a Matt song, which is what he does with the title track on this record. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll Catch Fire is very, very in line with the songs that Matt's putting onto this record and then go the opposite direction on other tracks such as... She took him to the lake, which is it, it really comes in, you know, in, during a dark space sure. in an already dark record. Yes. And then Dan comes in with this little uh, third person perspective, mm-hmm. two and a half minute little uh, story about, you know, a, 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 a fling. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's funny because I, one, I want to say, I think this is probably my favorite Alkaline Trio album cover. Yeah, um, I love the photo on it. I just I so love the good. design of it. And I remember getting it like around the time the record came out, and like having the LP, flipping it over, and like reading the song titles, and you know the record's called Maybe I'll Catch Fire. Like you know it's it's, it's pretty dark, visually, you that know all the way through cover. Yeah, yeah. And I remember seeing the title. She took him to the lake, and this is not what I thought the song was going right. to be about. This, this this song is like a it's like a story from Unsolved Mysteries. If you go by like yeah, <laughs> the yeah. contextual clues of like what these songs are and reading, oh, she took him to the lake and buried him. Yeah, no, like I seriously thought this was going to be like what uh whatever the first song on Good Morning is. Uh, this could be love. I thought yeah. it was going to be that type right. of song, the murder scenario, and song, it yeah. is not that type of song. It's not, and it's it's such a it's. Really, you know, for being kind of a sad song, you know, somebody gets their heart broken pretty hard in here. It's really a breath of fresh air in, you know, that sequence of dark ass songs. Dan yeah. comes in and it's it's got like his his vocal on it 
already like sets it up as you know that like cooing like do you remember it's like oh okay cool this is the song is just pure sugar yeah 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 i mean it's it's a much needed source of levity on this record because from like the really like the first couple songs i think are a little bit lighter comparatively right but like from like fuck you aurora through the end of this record you're in like a very dark and like consuming space it just gets deeper (laughs) yeah it does not there's not a lot of like levity here and Um, i think that's like that's one of dan's like great strengths is that he's able to come in and provide that and i really think that you know it's a testament to his ability as a songwriter to maybe understand what his role is. He's not going to be, you know, going song for song with Matt. He's going to be the guy that's doing, you know, 30%. So, you know, that gives him like the space to kind of do something that's a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's interesting because like that idea of him understanding his role, right? Like he's Uh been someone who had been the front person in Tuesday. He had been in slapstick. He had, you know, been in bands and had been the front person, had been just a bass player, whatever. And I think he has a great understanding of how he fits into the grander scheme. Uh And I think that allows him what you were saying, like when you're doing, you know, this being a 10 track record, him having three songs of it, he gets to, you know, have one that kind of fits the theme a little more have one like this which is just kind of like you know the sugar rush thing and then have one that totally breaks it up and feels more left field right and i think you know i think it's why there have always been the people who split into the matt or dan camp Uh and we don't need to get into that here but i think the reason certain people really resonate with dan is because you get so little of it and you like it so much you're always wondering what else is out there right, right? exactly yeah 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 it's like oh, it's like oh man if he was doing if he if the roles were reversed how would it how would it work but you know i think the benefit of him you know contributing at the frequency with which he does is that every song of his can almost feel like an island can yeah. almost feel like you know a point of rest from the record and especially when it's like you know in this case a a really dark one and you know i think that like matt is somebody who you know he's he's obviously he's great Mm -hmm. but it's nice to get a break from him yeah no that's not you know to say anything against him but no totally nice to just like go to someone somewhere else a different type of voice yes like and that's you know maybe one of the most like understated like greatnesses of him is that he's got such a unique voice and it's so stand out and like this is a really good example of a spot where he can like you know really put a lot of different energy into a vocal yeah well and i i think that's the interesting thing too is specifically with this record and specifically with this song is where on god damn it he had a couple songs you know he did enjoy your day message from kathleen two songs i both really like but i know a lot of people don't yeah you know specifically who doesn't like message from kathleen i mean i feel like at the time yeah people were seeing it as like oh he's the other guy in alkaline trio right right right. 
I feel like I maybe catch fire. Maybe I'll catch fire. He becomes a Dan from Alkaline Trio. Absolutely, you know. And that's that. Yeah, that's such a that's such a pronounced role too. And I mean, I can think of like so many bands, especially like classic rock bands, where there's you know the guy that sings every like six songs, and you're just like, man, who who fucking let this guy sing? Totally. What are you doing? Totally. I mean, it's an interesting thing too to think about bands that, you know, because I think they would get more even. Yeah. You know, as as time went on, the, mm-hmm. those dynamics would flip a little bit in the mid two thousands. But thinking of a band like Jimmy Eat World, where like their original lead singer by the third album is basically relegated to a handful of tracks, or you know, Robbie Takeak from the Goo Goo Dolls, yeah, another great example, greatest um, band of all time. Well, let's not get all right. All right. Anyway, one thing that I love about this song is that it it really like moves so quickly. Yeah, like it. You know, starting from that intro, which I love that it's just like real short, like five second thing that they never return to. Mm -hmm. And then um, and, you know, it's a little like it's a little jarring when you first hear it. And then Dan comes in with that vocal line that you just like kind of fall for. Yeah. But this song doesn't repeat a lot. No. And there's like really two, you know, there's two verses and then there's like two different parts that act as choruses yes or as bridges but you know it's not it's this isn't a this isn't a verse chorus verse chorus bridge last chorus song yeah it's interesting because it gives you that illusion of being a verse chorus song yeah but it's really not and it, it it serves the material so well from a lyrical standpoint because it's like it is a story song right uh huh. so like why would you revisit these kind of things exactly so like i think that's a really interesting decision and it you know like you said about it being jarring up top with especially in my opinion with Skiba's riff that yeah. very like staccato thing and he does a lot of that on this record and on this record i really love that approach because i, I like him writing parts that are just very you know kind of harsh sounding at first yeah and then you grow to really love them well it's the f- i think it's like kind of the first real uh, you know, injection into the guitar tone that he really utilizes to yeah. such a great extent throughout this band. Like, God damn it, like, it's so off and, like, yeah. goofy. Yes. And, like, you know, I know that that's part of the charm of that record, but, like, maybe I'll catch fire. It's, like, really locked in into that, like, piercing sound that he has. Mm-hmm. But it's also, like... Like listening back to this and listening to how rhythmic his playing is, it's really a really nice like spot in that band's time where he's like still figuring out like his playing and his voice. Absolutely. And like he's got parts from the original and he's got parts from like what he's growing into and exactly. it's really well documented on And I think record. that's the thing is the idea of him finding his voice as a guitar player and songwriter is something that I really wanted to talk about with him in that ranking records because he was a drummer first. Yeah. You know, and on God Damn It and Maybe I'll Catch Fire, you see so much of the percussiveness in uh-huh. his playing and you know it's not like he's playing a ton of notes but like in the in the bridge or second chorus of this song right you know the way he's throwing in those octaves really kind of catches your ear he he he's playing so much with glenn who on this song turns in one of his performances that i think is like signature glenn porter where it's like a little loose yeah his his drum rolls his fills are kind of sloppy it feels like a train that's like shaking it's moving so fast but that's so perfect for what this is i really like you know i was listening to this song last night and i was thinking about you know that 
quote that you dropped at the very beginning of this podcast, uh, which was from the Jawbreaker documentary mm-hmm. about three guys in a band who are all trying to, who are all playing in a band by themselves. Yeah. And I, you know, I envision the writing of this song as like the three of them not facing each other. And Matt is like, Matt's uh, playing, especially like during the verses, he's going out and he's venturing and he's like doing a lot in between the chord changes there aren't a lot of chord changes in this song but matt's playing is like really active Mm -hmm. but really befitting and you can tell that he's just locked into a zone where he knows where he can go in between the major chord changes yes and so he does a lot of things like within a chord or you know between one or the other and it's all it all fits really well too with that tone that he's got and the octaves like his activity during the verse is so perfect Mm -hmm. and it really like you know it allows for what is not a very complicated song to suddenly have like all this strength that's just coming out of the guitar. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's a huge part of it, and I think it speaks to him really at this point understanding how to leave open space. Yeah, and I think he leaves that in his playing uh-huh. with those staccato riffs, and really at the start of what it is, I think we will call the second verse uh-huh. when he basically drops out. Yeah, it's just Dan singing; he's not even really playing, and it's just Glenn hitting the hi hat. Yeah. And then he does that big pick slide. It's a good like pick slide too. He's one of those people where, like, I think we've discussed it before. Pick slides can be kind of corny, but yeah. when you place it like that, uh huh, it's just perfect. It it, it you know because it kind of coos you. It feels like this very safe, serene sense, and then yeah. that just boom springs it's a them back. Sloppy one too, because I think that yeah. there's another layer where it's maybe going in the, the opposite, opposite direction yeah. too. But, you know, you mentioned Glenn, and I one of the things that I really like about Glenn's playing on this song is the way he relates to Matt. Mm-hmm. And Matt hitting those staccato rhythms and, like, you know, there's times in, I wouldn't call it the chorus, but it's the first repeated phrase, then yeah. she went away, yeah. his calls were not returned. The second part, uh, instrumentally on each one of those phrases, there's almost like a halftime coming from Matt's guitar playing, and Glenn, like, starts it a little bit but doesn't like go full on into it and it's just like it's such a nice like looseness to it and it's such a good like like damn he could have yeah and it would have just been such a derailer totally this song never really loses the pace that it has yeah i love that well and one of the things that i think is really important to talk about like mentioning like the three people all playing on their own separate island is that vocally that is very untrue on this song. Yeah. Where like, especially with how it's mixed, like Matt is singing a lot with Dan uh-huh. and they have a weird thing where like on paper, you would not think their voices would complement one another as right. well as they do. Yeah. And that's one of the things that always made me love them, especially in the early years is I love them singing together. Yeah. And there are parts specifically on the back half of this song where when you listen to it, depending on which one you're focused on, that one sounds like the lead person. Right. Well, is Glenn singing on this too? Because there's also parts at the beginning where you can feel three voices coming mm-hmm. in. And like especially like she went to see 
she went to see him, but her eyes were burning a different stare. There's three vocals yeah. that are all kind of like fluctuating, and you know, yeah. one's coming to the front, and then another one's coming to the front. Well, and I, I would have to assume so, if only because if you watch old videos of them from like '98 to you know late '99, yeah, you know, Glenn always had a mic. He was always singing in these parts. You know, they were really, you know, and I think that's the strength of Glenn and the strength of Derek later on is that they have three vocalists. Yeah. You know, maybe not three singing lead. Right. But they they are really functioning as, you know, even if they're not always playing together or doing little things to, you know, make the mixture a little uneven in a good way. Yeah. They're always unified in terms of trying to get this idea across. And that's what really strikes me about She Took Him to the Lake is that, like, they're all kind of in their own world, structuring their own part to this song, yeah. to this composition. But at the core of it, they are all like involved in expressing this idea in their own Absolutely. way. And I think that is really, you know, speaking to that, like of them singing all together. Like I love how messy that is because it becomes one thing. It shouldn't work, but it works perfectly. Yeah, it does. And there's like, you know, there's some really, really like pointed harmonies in that too i think matt's matt's like you know it sounds like he's shouting gotta be right from like 20 feet away from the microphone and i love that little part it's such like a little thing you know and i think he would like in a live setting present day he tends to overuse that a little bit where he'll like throw in like the name of the song or like Uh a, a, a little phrase right something like get the crowd going yeah but like you know, there are times he does that on record and in song where it just works perfectly in this because you don't expect it at all. You don't. Yeah. And it's you like know? it's 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 not it's not something that it's a response to what Dan says. It's not yep. him repeating what he says. And it's also like it's a really, really good way to just like punctuate the desperation mm-hmm. that the person who's being described at in the song is feeling totally and like just a fucking knock out just performance from matt on that single line that like i always could never really figure out if he was saying gotta be right or can't be right or what it was yeah (laughs) but i mean like 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 tiny like mispronunciation or whatever you want to call it well and as we've discussed before so much of their charm is in how they you know, will twist a, a phrase or a lyric ever yeah. so slightly. And I think, you know, one of the biggest charms of the song to me is, is, is as you addressed up top, this is not from the first person. Yeah. This is a third person perspective narrative. And obviously it feels like Dan is ultimately singing about himself, but that removal, yeah. to sing about a he and a she uh-huh. as opposed to an I and a you is a really powerful device here. I mean, especially when that's what this band is up until this point is yeah. just I or you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have, you know, going back to the, the idea that the song is kind of like an island within a, the, the second half of a really dark record is like, oh, you know, here's all these songs about feeling like fucking horrific. Mm-hmm. And then here's like this little like pop song that's also a story that's also you know identifying with a character in a way that yeah it's it's probably dan writing about himself or writing about a friend of his but you know that removal and also there's no spitefulness in it yeah i mean that's the big thing yeah to me that like makes a song like this work is because when we talk about you know 
bands that skirted the line between like punk and emo and whatever uh-huh. is there is a certain like spitefulness and anger and resentment that comes through and i think sometimes that can be navigated well and i think sometimes that can be heavy-handed and really like misogynistic and shitty yeah but i think this is just it's it's capturing such a moment that i think so many people live through when you're in your late teens early 20s that kind of college post-college era of like meeting someone having this fling yeah it just kind of falls apart and you're left to like feel so strongly about something that maybe was never all that much like yeah. the, the details he picks in the song are so you know they're so minor and specific that they just feel wildly applicable yeah you know? absolutely the, yeah that 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 idea that like you know you find more universal truth in the specifics than you do in you know just writing something that's got totally broad strokes yeah yeah um and, and yeah i i one thing that i like about this song too is just you know you are so kind of you never really catch up to it yeah it starts you know and it's completely different from everything that you've heard before it it's fast-paced it moves into what is a second chorus or a bridge when it seems so right when it feels so right kind of when you're expecting it to repeat the the chorus in the other one you know it's already after a truncated verse yeah and then you go into this instrumental break and boy was this band good at doing those like four measure instrumental breaks it's one of my favorite things they do yeah like when they can nail that like we're just gonna do an instrumental part Uh either four measures or in the case of like a nose over tail for the entire back half of a song right and like you still feel in it you still feel that momentum yeah you know that's one of the things that i think they do not get enough credit for especially on these early records absolutely and i think it's it's something too that's like kind of easy to forget is Mm -hmm. like you know listen back to god damn it and half of those songs are over in a minute and a half and then they extend for another minute and there's another two minutes of just like fucking around right like you can't imagine that song without it right exactly and and that's the thing too is like in that part matt's just doing such great articulation on specific notes yeah like you said there's not a lot of like notes he's really working on in this song but just those you know couple lines where he you know ascends and hits some of those octaves you're like fuck yeah when he gets there you know when he gets to like you know the 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 higher octaves you're just like damn like you get kind of knocked back by it Mm -hmm. and you know he does just very very little movements within the chord where you know he he'll drop like on the a he'll drop the octave down a half step yeah which is like you know it's not as it's not as hard as like a major to a minor chord change but yep. it's got a lot of that feeling to it where you're just like oh yeah which literally like in the first five years of my songwriting life was just stealing that all move. you did all you did because it was just such a distinct matt skiba thing to right. do you just move your index finger and then move it back and uh-huh. he's like you get this nice weird jagged kind of sound that like on this record like They embraced so hard. Yeah. But I think more importantly than anything is like what this leads to, right? Is because like they kind of come back and they're singing together. Well, first of all, hold on. What, you know, before that instrumental break happens, I love the second half of it where they start each phrase on that minor chord that they don't, they don't utilize those types of minors within that key 
really after this record. True. And they're hitting on them really, really hard on Maybe I'll Catch Fire. Which is why, like, I think it's one of those records that people fluctuate so hard between loving or hating. Yeah. Is because it's, as a record, it feels so much like an island. Uh You know, it's, it's dark. It's a little more abrasive. And as I, you know, try to talk to Matt about it, like (laughs) you can really see that like, this is them coming from a scene where they were not playing so much with other pop punk bands. You know, they had been touring with ska bands Uh and I, I don't know how much of this is a reaction to do something that much more abrasive, but they were playing with fucking weird ass instrumental and like, art rock bands throughout Chicago. Like yeah. those were kind of who they were finding commonality with. I don't know how much of that influenced this, but like, to me, it feels like a, a poppier part of that lineage than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's a, it's really the first time that they really seem to set an intention to have a mood mm-hmm. of a record established. And I think that they, you know, not, they do continue to do that, but this is a really, really like hard line. Like this is how this record sounds, and this totally. is the darkness that happens on this record. They'll, you know, continue to do that down the line. But it's not, it's not as you know much of a jump into it. Absolutely, it's a, a little bit more withdrawn. But what you were saying, which I, you know, felt hey, the need to cut you fair. off on, but I think it's a, it was a good point to make. But but the thing is, when it seems so right, and it feels so right, the way they come back on that. And how that that delivery of that part, how it was so quickly like you know fallen into from mm-hmm. the verse before it when they did it the first time, and then coming into it out of the instrumental break where it's like everybody's kind of like collected and centered, and Matt and Dan both deliver a really really good vocal on this. Oh yeah, and and it's one of those things where like you know. It's one of those songs that I kind of forget about how great it is until I hear it. Yo, for real. Like, it's one of those songs that I, I would never say I think it's bad or, like, even just decent. Like, I, I say I like this song, uh-huh. but it takes me hearing it or, like, when they play it live, like, and it has remained in their sets for years and years. Like, there's a reason for that because I feel like it's one of those songs that just has to be fun to execute. Yeah. Because everyone is involved. Everyone's singing. Everyone's doing that thing. Right. And you have the right amount of just, like, little weird tweaks. Definitely. You know? But, you know, there's a lot of great parts of this song. But for me, there's nothing better that after they come out of that, too, that second chorusy thing. Yeah. The very end. Yeah. And it speaks so much to, like, the looseness of this song Uh that it feels like... It's just kind of falling apart. It feels like it's mirroring the story arc of the in the lyrics that Dan puts forward. Yeah, is that like things just kind of ended? That's it. Like I'm pretty sure that boys staying in tonight is. It's such a good lyric, you know. Thinking about it in terms of like that's the energy that Mm -hmm. this person comes out of what happened to him with. Yes, is that he's just like, damn bummed out yeah that's tough and like that's that speaks so much to what we addressed earlier of like it not being spiteful right is it's not like you know him having any malice towards this person but it's just like she went away she's not coming back yeah i'm pretty sure that boy is staying in tonight and like that line lands so well both because of his delivery the way everything kind of quiets back down yeah like glenn just kind of letting his like hi-hat rattle a little bit like Uh it literally just sounds like well that's the story and 
that's how this ends. And he's got like just a little bit of groan to it, uh-huh. which is like a really, really like smart thing that he he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing, and I think the beauty of it is that like this song sets up perfectly for like what I was talking about in like the emotional arcs that we live through. Right. Is that like it happens? Uh-huh. It's probably going to happen again. <laughs> So, like, there's no point in, like, getting that worked up over it. Yeah. And that's kind of the beauty of it. It's, yeah. And it's it's interesting, you know, what you say about how it continues to just, like, pop up the way that it does from the first time that you hear it. Yeah. That it's just, like, it's the song that you forget about, but then when you hear it, you're just like, man... This like that's kind of what marks a great band is yeah. that they they have songs that are they have so many good songs that there are ones that you're able to forget about and there are yeah. ones that you you know you're able to just like be hit with at certain times and just remember like oh my god yeah this is this is a fucking great song I mean that's the thing is like every band regardless of how popular they get has the hits right yeah and I would not qualify this as one of the hits no but when you hear it it just sideswipes you and you're like this song is fucking great right and i also love you know the one thing that i think is really you know fantastic about it is like the light flexibility it allows dan on that last line like having seen them for years and years uh-huh. the way he slightly tweaks that line yeah makes it feel still relevant yeah. you know seeing them play it a few years ago and like him changing it to like and i'm pretty sure that boy is doing fine tonight uh-huh. like it's it's a little pithy <laughs> but like you I know think it's perfect i i think there it, it allows them to do those things where it's like they can fuck with a line. They can tweak something on the fly. Yeah. And it just feels so right. Yeah. And yeah. And you just like, you know, there's there's so much fun happening in this song, too. I feel like everybody that's playing it is like really, really stoked about what they came up with. It just feels like it's, yeah. it's funny that he, you know, talked about not having a great time making it because this feels like the song that like everybody was stoked about playing yeah. when they were practicing and you know I, I you know i don't know maybe maybe the, some of the looseness comes from the fact that it kind of was thrown together a little bit at the end but i feel like that you know this is this is communicated really well this song is just like put forth in a really really earnest and like real way it's mm-hmm. not it's not 100% yeah. it's sloppy and i i thought i need that well, I, I feel like we've uh, revealed our hand here. Yeah. But what do you rate this song, Tim? I give it four and a half skulls out of five. I give this song four matchbooks out of five. <laughs> <laughs> if you like what we're doing here, uh, tell a friend. Subscribe on iTunes. It's been really... What's up? Nothing. It's been really, really, you know, great hearing that so many of you all are are liking this. I'm hearing from a lot of old friends mm-hmm. about about this podcast and and you know, kind of just talking talking to people about the old days. But it's also, you know, da- David and I, we we both are uh, veterans of the podcast game. You can mm-hmm. check out my show better yet. Also on iTunes. My show, No Plus One, is currently on hiatus, but we've got a a few things down the pipe. 
but you know it's been it's been really dope seeing uh people responding the way that they have yeah having been in in the position of doing something for you know close to two years now and really really putting a lot of energy into it and like you know I, i love that show that show's my baby and it's also been nice to just like do this thing where i get to fucking hang out with the homie mm-hmm. and everybody's like loving it so yeah. that's fucking great and we hope that you're enjoying it too and we hope that you're enjoying you know being a part of the conversation and god i i haven't seen you in like a week and i know I, it's I weird missed you i missed you too damn, i'm just feeling good feeling good feeling great i'm pretty sure this podcast is staying